Greetings, Terrans, and welcome to episode 45 of Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. I am your host, Peter Gao, and joining me is Drs. Mike Wong and James Keane. Hey, guys. Hi. Hello. Okay, uh, please introduce yourselves, because we've uh, clearly never heard from you before. So, Mike? My name is Mike Wong. I am a postdoc at Caltech studying planetary science, but soon to move to the University of Washington to pursue exoplanetary science. Thank you, Mike. That sounds wonderful. James? I'm James Keane. I'm a postdoc here at Caltech, and I study planetary geophysics and the interiors of icy satellites, moons, terrestrial planets, everything. Thank you, James. Literally everything. Nice. Except gas giants. They're annoying. Oh, I know that feeling. So as loyal listeners may realize, things are a little bit different this time. And that's because Mike and James just got back from a very important and perilous away mission to the exotic world of Las Vegas, where they attended the Star Trek Las Vegas convention. And as with all away missions, it's time we do a debriefing. So We don't have to go into the decon chamber, do we? Because that gel stuff gives me the creeps. Oh, but... Yeah, I don't like yeah. the way it feels on my skin. I'm sorry, Mike, but it's it's regulations. So, just, you know, get ready. But first... I didn't wear my blue underwear today. Okay, we'll, we'll do the debriefing first, but then you guys will have to go into that chamber, okay? You have a fun time. It's nice. Okay, so, first of all... General impressions. I mean, you guys were on a away mission. I assume you guys didn't lose any wretches or anything. How was the convention? Did you guys have fun? Was it great? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was beyond great. I don't even know how to describe it. Seriously. Like, no, it was it was amazing. I've never been to a Star Trek convention. I'm like Mike, who's been to... How many have you been to before? Uh, quite a few. I went to my first one in 2009. Almost every year I go to a convention of some sort, mostly not the Star Trek Las Vegas ones, because when I was in college, I was much closer to San Francisco, where there are also annual Star Trek conventions. And it just so happens that they tend to fall on the weekend before the American Geophysical Union's fall meeting. So when I fly up for that conference, which is always in San Francisco, except for the past two years because of construction, I would go to those as well. But yeah, I felt like this was a great convention compared to the other ones. My overall impression was that it was so much more well-balanced in terms of celebrating not just Star Trek's past, but also the present and the future of Star Trek. Because for a long time, these conventions always felt very nostalgic and for some reason, one reason or another, I'm not quite sure why, but the Kelvin Timeline actors and producers and everybody associated with those movies tend to not come to these conventions with the same frequency as the other actors and behind the scenes people. And so it always felt like it was looking back and reminiscing about Star Trek's glory days back in the 90s, even back all the way to the 60s, right? Um, Remember that time. Remember that time when it was all good. And I loved that, but this time was just so different because 
It's the first big convention since Star Trek Discovery went on the air. And basically the entire Discovery cast was there, uh, which was so heartwarming to see how they really embraced the fandom and came out to meet everybody and tell us their thoughts on being on the show. And then, of course, we got a little sneak. Oh, oh, oh we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that and uh, Star Trek Discovery in a moment. But first, I have a question for James. Since, as you mentioned, this was your first convention, what did you think? Did you ever attend anything like this before? What did you think of all the various parts of it? I've been told that the vendor's room was really fun for you. <laughs> yeah, so I've never been to a Star Trek convention, a Comic-Con, except maybe like some small, very small local events in like Tucson, but nothing of this magnitude. So this was... It was really impressive. I, I wasn't certain what it would be like going in. I didn't know if it would be good or not, because sometimes, I mean, Star Trek fans or fandoms in general can be interesting, to put it mildly. But it was a lot of fun. The, it was very positive. It was very upbeat. Everyone who was there seemed to be really enjoying it, which is, I think, important to note, because some of the fans have been sort of not polite about discovery in the past and so it was pleasant to see everyone reacting to the actors and the producing teams very positively um, and then yeah there was the vendors room where I would just hover over tables of starships and micro machines and phasers for hours at end it's a miracle I didn't leave Las Vegas more broke than I already have. <laughs> I was gonna ask how much did you make it rain over there you know with all the purchasing uh, it already helps that I have <laughs> almost all the starships <laughs> that I want. So that's good. Just bought. I, I think we bought a we bought a Wesley Crusher Playmates action figure from the 1990s for kicks. Wow. Um, a, a few posters. It was it was a surprisingly packed room. A lot of items. Yeah. A lot of things from from the past and present. Yeah. Yeah. I Although we. We still we haven't purchased our nine thousand dollars Anovos Enterprise or Discovery models yet. So uh, ne to, yet next time. Need to. <laughs> you need to get a larger budget for this podcast first. <laughs> hear that, That's Mike? right. Yeah, supporters, if you want to donate to me, <laughs> you set up a Patreon or something. Yeah, yeah, and we'll spend that exclusively on Anovos starships. Um, your money will go to good use. Uh, but those starships were beautiful. Like, I've been seeing pictures online, and to actually be up close to them, I mean, they were behind a glass mm -hmm. case, but they were all lit up, and the detail was absolutely amazing. I don't know, I, I just spent a very long time just standing there taking pictures of it. <laughs> and it's, it's cool, too, that both their starships and their props, they, they 3D print them, which is what the production team does for a lot of their props anyway. It's, it's interesting to see these shows embrace that sort of technology yeah it's the way of the future is almost like replicators in a way replicators yes yes it's here and now yeah yeah and um so one of the things i love about the vendors room is that it's also a room where a lot of the actors will hang out and so certain actors will book a booth there and you can go up and get autographs you can just talk to them if you want to um, you can buy other things that they're selling so Garrett Wong who played Harry Kim on Star Trek Voyager has a t-shirt company and I like getting his t-shirts because usually they're pretty well designed and sometimes they have deep cut Star Trek references which I really enjoy because for instance if somebody goes up to me and recognizes my Captain Proton t-shirt I'm just like 
you're a Star Trek fan. You're one of We're us. going to be friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Peter, I actually got something from Garrett Wong's booth for you. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Catch. Really... Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's see what, what, it, what this is. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. We did not rehearse this. Oh. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. 25 years of boldly going. And, of course, listeners cannot see this, but it is a, a beautiful rendering of the Space Nine. What's Garrett Wong hawking DS9 merchandise? Isn't that cross? Isn't that like being a traitor to a show or something? (laughs) He's made a lot of Voyager designs in the past, and I guess because this convention was very centered around the 25th anniversary of Deep Space Nine, it was appropriate. Wow. Uh, Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Garrett Wong. (laughs) This is amazing. Okay, well, that uh, really makes me sad that I did not go. I I think I probably would have hung out in the vendor's room the entire time and just poking at all the starships. There's always next year. Got to make that happen. So, let's move on to the big, big, big news. Even though I wasn't there, I still had inklings of news trickling in through uh, Twitter or texts from Mike. And I hear that there's something that's happening. In fact, well, it's news that's heard around the quadrant. Someone very special and important is coming back to the Star Trek universe. Do you guys have more information about that? And what do you think about what's happening? I, I have no joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <laughs> uh, this is a really funny story, actually. So um, on Friday okay, of the convention, which is a five-day convention that started on Wednesday. We missed Wednesday, but we got there Thursday. And on Friday, the TNG cast was in the vendor's room signing autographs. And I had met the TNG podcast host from, or one of the hosts from the Trek FM Earl Grey podcast. And he was tagging along because I was getting autographs from the TNG cast. And we were lamenting the fact that Patrick Stewart wasn't going to be at this convention and how great it would be to see him. And so I get up to uh, Jonathan Frakes. And as I, as I approach Mr. Frakes for, for an autograph, his cell phone buzzes. And he picks it up and starts typing furiously away. And I'm just like awkwardly standing in front of him while he answers a text. And I just decide I'm going to crack a joke. And so I say, hey, Jonathan, if, if that's Patrick, you know, please tell him to come over here because I need his autograph too. And he gets really startled. He's just like, what the hell? How did you know? <laughs> You're really creepy. He like literally, literally told me, number one, William T. Riker told me that I was creepy. Congratulations. That's a rite of passage. And, um, and then he later like showed me his phone and showed that indeed Patrick Stewart had sent him a text. Now, I couldn't read the text, but I thought, you know, that's kind of a weird response to a joke. Right, like just play along, right? Why, why are you getting mad at me that I said, if that's Patrick Stewart, please tell him to come over here. Anyway, <laughs> I think to step back, I think on your on like iTunes or wherever you put this podcast, you should have a review from William Riker saying, "Mike Wong, you're really creepy." <laughs> again, again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so fast forward one day, it's Saturday, and Saturday was a crazy day. So Saturday started off with a behind the scenes of Deep Space Nine with Doug Drexler, Mike and Denise Akuda, and Herman Zimmerman, some of my heroes for Star Trek because they really made Star Trek in the 90s look and feel the way it was. 
And then Kate Mulgrew came out, and she was always very deep and thoughtful to listen to. George Takei. Oh, my. Uh, oh, my. Exactly. <laughs> then we had a, a, a talk by John Eves, who's been such a constant, amazing artist throughout so much of Star Trek, including all the way up to Star Trek Discovery. William Shatner was right after him. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And then a special thing happened. So during those amazing talks that were absolutely incredible to listen to and very draining emotionally because I was constantly like being moved to tears by all of these great actors, they wrote on the little screen that you need to be here in the main hall at 1.30 p.m. for a very special announcement by Alex Kurtzman. Wow, a directive. Yes, it was, it was like an order from the Admiral. You need to be here for a very important announcement by the executive producer of Star Trek Discovery. And so everybody is packed in there. After all, William Shatner was just on stage, so people were, were naturally just there. And Alex Kurtzman comes out and says, we're expanding the Star Trek universe, and I'm happy to announce that we have a new series in production, but I'm not the person to actually reveal what that new series should be. Instead, I'm going to bring out the doors to the main stage, which look like the holodeck doors from TNG, from the Enterprise D, just open, and out comes Sir Patrick Stewart, Jean-Luc Picard himself, and the entire auditorium just erupted in applause, and everyone got up, was clapping, screaming, pretty sure you were crying at some point in there. <laughs> yeah. It, it was intense. Because, I mean, honestly, when they were advertising, like, we're going to have a special thing, I thought maybe they would, like, just release a teaser about season two or something, or do something small. But this was really impressive. It was particularly nice because they could have done a big press release somewhere else but they chose to do this at Star Trek Las Vegas and really make it direct it at the fans and so it was just in that first moment it was just so intense and so much emotion and then Patrick talked for a good 15 minutes basically outlining why he felt it was time for him to come back to the role which he's been public about like sort of moving on and trying to do other things and many of the Star Trek actors have felt that way but his speech I mean it I almost don't want to paraphrase it because it's it's really eloquent. You can find it online now. But saying basically that the world needed next-gen again. And I think it's right. And I look forward to seeing what comes of this. They didn't release any of the details other than it would have him in it. It would be set 20 years after Nemesis, which is roughly the time how long it's been since Nemesis. But that's it. We know nothing else about it. They didn't tell us anything else. For all we know, it could be animated. It could have all the other TNG people. It could have no one else. We really don't know. So then, what are your hopes for this? What do you want to see happen with Sir Pat Stew back in the, uh, perhaps not the command chair, but a chair in the Star Trek universe? What's the type of show you want? Literally anything could happen <laughs> you know, at this point, because we really don't know. And again, 20 years into the future is such a long time. Patrick Stewart hinted that Jean-Luc Picard might not be captain and that he might have changed a lot over the intervening 20 years. So this goes back to the whole 
fan debate that has been going on for a while about what is Captain Picard's true destiny? You know, is he always going to be the captain of the Enterprise, just like Captain Kirk told him to? You know, don't let them promote you. Don't let them get you off that bridge in Star Trek Generations. Mm-hmm. Is he going to live out his life in that chair? Or is he going to become an admiral? Is he going to go and teach at Starfleet Academy eventually? Is he going to become an ambassador and put his diplomatic skills to use? Or is he going to become an anthropologist or an archaeologist and really follow his scientific passions later on in his career, sort of have a second career? And I kind of want to see Jean-Luc Picard being that archaeologist because I'd recently rewatched the episode The Chase, mm-hmm. And it was just so evident how enthusiastic that character was about looking at and discovering a new artifact from an ancient civilization somewhere else in the galaxy. And it was almost like Picard was a repressed archaeologist. Like he, he really wanted to be a, this, this kind of scientist and this kind of explorer, but he was very limited in that capability as the captain of a starship. He had a day job. Just a small little job. <laughs> captain of the Enterprise. Yeah, nothing much. Yeah, but, um, but it would be cool to explore that aspect of him, but I don't know how good of a TV show that would make. Yeah, I think uh, I don't think they even uh, confirmed that it was a full series, or maybe it was could be a miniseries, for all we know, a limited yeah. series. So maybe one miniseries about a archaeological dig that uh, Jean-Luc Picard goes on, perhaps near the end of his life, after his retirement. James, do you have any thoughts on what do you want to see or what do you think will happen? Captain Picard, the Indiana Jones years, <laughs> sort of punching Nazis or slash Romulans or whatever. I, I don't know if I would want the archaeologist angle, especially if it were to be a miniseries. One of the things that stuck with me was how Patrick announced it and his rationale for going back, which was really trying to say something about needing next gen and like the morals of the next generation show. So I think he would be more inclined to be engaged in a show that was really angling towards saying something profound about society something that would capture a lot of those episodes from Next Generation, like Measure of a Man and all those, where it's talking about society. So I wish and I sort of predict that that's the route that it would go. It could still be a miniseries. I mean, honestly, when Patrick Stewart came out, I had, I told Mike at the time, what I thought was since Alex Kurtzman had said, oh, I can't, I can't tell it, so let me bring out the person that could. I thought Patrick Stewart would be like, oh, I can't do it, and then they'd bring out the entire Next Gen cast. So my like secret side prediction is that it would be like a next-gen animated series. But really, I think that the thing that I suspect that would draw Patrick Stewart back in, based on how he explained his rationale, would be a series that would focus on society, particularly at this epic. I think that would be pretty incredible to see. I think uh, Sir Pat Stewart has been involved in quite a few causes and talking into issues lately. Something that I was thinking about when the announcement came out was... There's one topic that hasn't really been touched upon too much in Star Trek, but was touched upon a lot in The Wrath of Khan, which is the concept of aging. So all of our captains, they're all essentially middle-aged, and for some of these captains, like Captain Kerr, for example, we were able to follow them into when they became older. And now we're at a stage where we can essentially do that with Jean-Luc Picard. So I'd be very interested to see how Jean-Luc operates as he's in his golden years, so to speak. So 
wow, this is super exciting news. And uh, unfortunately, right now, there's been not much details from the studio, probably because they don't actually have anything to tell us. But we'll look forward to uh, anything that comes out in the next couple of months to perhaps even years. Okay, so moving on from something old coming back, let's move on to something completely new, which is Star Trek Discovery. This time, pretty much the entire cast showed up to the convention, right? And as far as I saw, it wasn't like the entire cast showed up for one panel and that was it. There were lots of smaller panels where you had subgroups of the entire cast show up and talk about specific topics. Can you give us more information about uh, some of these groups and which one was your favorite? I'd say the highlight of Thursday for me was definitely Captain Lorca himself, Jason Isaacs. He was a really entertaining guy. He was just on stage all by himself, no moderator, telling stories from his time on set with Discovery. And I think that the coolest story that he told was about when Jonathan Frakes came and directed an episode and the tips that number one gave everybody for being on the bridge of the Enterprise, on the bridge of, <laughs> not the <laughs> Enterprise, but the Discovery. What year is um, this? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was funny because Jonathan gave the cast tips on, on how to act in Star Trek and especially given the fact that you don't really have pockets in your spacesuit, so what do you do with your hands? And uh, so the thing that... <laughs> Mr. Frakes told Jason Isaacs was you want to be the first person to cross your arms because one, you know if you see somebody else with their arms crossed you're like damn it I can't do that too <laughs> so you want to be the first person to cross your <laughs> arms <laughs> another really cool thing that Jason Isaacs revealed was how pristine all of the uniforms needed to be and how there's absolutely no room for creases or wrinkles in the 23rd century and so they found out very early on that when he sat down in the captain's chair, his discovery uniform would get wrinkled or would like bunch up in, in certain places. And so the costume designer actually had to create a second uniform for him to wear when sitting down. So there's actually no complete like one cut of Jason Isaacs either sitting down in the captain's chair of Discovery or getting up out of it. There's always some kind of cut, and it's because they needed to change his uniform <laughs> for standing and sitting, which was kind of funny. And this was confirmed by Gersha Phillips later on in the week during her awesome Discovery wardrobe panel. We're going to have to uh, rewatch the first uh, season and catch these. It's going to be so jarring now to see all these cuts. Yeah, well, and she mentioned that Anson Mount, Captain Pike, also has to have two jackets for the same reason. Maybe that's why Saru and Burnham are always standing at their consoles behind them. They don't, they don't need chairs. <laughs> uh, so, so speaking of Anson Mount, this will be the first time you've seen him live, right? I know he's, he, he's a riot on Twitter. What do you think of our new Captain Pike up close and personal? He was pretty chill, you know. Uh, he was on a panel with Sonequa Martin-Green and Doug Jones. And I feel like people didn't really know what to expect from him, having not seen him on screen yet. And... He didn't seem like he had any expectations for what to do at a, a Star Trek Discovery panel. So I, I felt like he was super laid back. He cracked a few jokes. But I think overall, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he produces on screen for season two. 
James, you had a, a question <laughs> that you came up with after this panel that we were thinking would have been a really great question to ask this trio of actors. James, do you want to share that question? Sure. So this was on the long drive back from Las Vegas to Los Angeles. We were talking about Star Trek for a couple hours during that. And yeah, so I came up with this question. Again, the panel is Anson Mount, who's Captain Christopher Pike, Doug Jones, who's Saru, and Sonequa Martin-Green, who's Michael Burnham, all command officers at some point being in command of different starships. So my question would have been, if all things being equal, you each had your own starship, and you all went to battle with each other, which one of you would win, and why? And this is such an insightful question, because it would tell a lot about the type of captain that Christopher Pike is, and what kind of perhaps action or command sequences he would have in a tactical capacity in season two, in a very sneaky way, very which I sneaky. think was uh, yes. excellent. <laughs> so, so this made an excellent question um, that unfortunately we thought of too late. <laughs> it's but, always um, after the fact. But, but, yeah. but Peter, do you want to take a stab at answering Try this question? Oh man, so firepower being equal, right? Yeah. To make it more fair. And no spore drive. Are they allowed to battle in a nebula? Sure. Because sure. <laughs> sure. I'm just wondering, like, are we talking about a dogfight where these ships are just flying around, or is it more strategy? Well, let's see. Saru's very careful, right? That's his, that's his species thing. Michael was commanding ships in the Mirror Universe. She almost had her own command, if I recall correctly. But she had to assume command of the SS Shenzhou in the Mirror Universe. And, of course, Captain Pike commands... Enterprise. Do we know how long he's been commanding the Enterprise at this point? A couple of years? Uh, couple yeah, of years. a couple of years. Yeah. I think the cage predates Discovery by a year or so. Mm. And before then, Robert April was captain. And who, who is now canon? Thanks to Discovery. Yep. So a couple of years. Well, you know, I wonder if Michael Burnham would... Uh, maybe she'll have the upper hand since she had command experience in a especially brutal environment. So maybe she'll think of think of neat tricks to try. You mean because she had experience from the, commanding the, the ISS Mar- in the... Okay. In the Mirror Universe. Okay. Huh, that's, that's really interesting. I think that Michael Burnham is a very clever character. She showed this by outsmarting the computer in the second episode of Discovery. Again, she showed this during her hand-to-hand combat sequences, both on the Klingon vessel and on the ISS Shenzhou when she had to fight... Connor. Connor, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta rewatch the show. Connor in the in the turbo lift. So I think that that might translate very well into being clever in a tactical situation in ship to ship combat. Although we've not yet seen that out of her. But James brought up a really good point when we were talking about this in the car, which was that Saru really learned over the course of the season how to be a leader of a very diverse crew. And James remembered that rousing speech that Saru gave in engineering, the I don't believe in a no-win scenario kind of speech that really brought the Discovery crew together. And we've yet to see that kind of leadership from Michael Burnham. So maybe Saru would be able to utilize his bridge crew a little bit better. And he could just beam over and donkey kick them both. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I like that strategy the best. So uh, we've been talking a lot about the, the convention, but this is a science and Star Trek podcast. So Mike, would you like to tell us 
a bit about that moment during one of the discovery panels where you decided to ask a question about science. Yeah, so the panel was with Wilson Cruz, Shazad Latif, Anthony Rapp, and Mary Wiseman. And I thought this was the perfect panel to ask my science of Star Trek question to because of the scientific officers that Anthony Rapp plays in Dr. Does he have a doctorate? Do we know if Paul Stamets in Discovery has a... Dr. Stamets? Have you I heard of uh, Lieutenant? They never say Dr. Stamets, but I think they only refer to medical doctors as doctors. That's right. a good point. Okay, well, anyway, so Anthony Rapp plays Lieutenant Stamets, the spore drive expert, and Mary Wiseman plays Sylvia Tilly, who is sort of the cadet right underneath of him the managing... The, yeah, that's a really great analogy. Sort of... Lieutenant Stamets, grad student. And Wilson Cruz, of course, plays a doctor. So um, lots of technobabble going on between those three characters. And so I asked the following question. From the get-go, and we'll start on the right because the spotlight went there first. How are you, sir? Hi, doing well. Uh, thanks for being here. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to see you. Um, so my question is, uh, well, uh, let me start with, I'm a scientist inspired by previous incarnations of Star Trek. And I'm so pleased that the wonderful Discovery writers have continued that long-standing trend of incorporating real scientific theories and facts into their science fiction motifs. And so I'm wondering if you as actors have been inspired by or have learned something new about the universe or just had your curiosity piqued by the virtue of being on Star Trek and having to memorize so many lines of techno babble that just so happen to, in many cases, make sense. I mean, you probably know that my character is inspired by the real mycologist, Paul Stamets, yeah. who yes. uh, is a genius and a wonderful human being. And uh, if you haven't watched his TED talk on um, how mushrooms can save the world, then you, everyone should watch it, because speaking of the science, it's, it's like really bleeding edge science. And, and some of it, it seemed like it makes the most sense of anything ever, and why isn't it just happening everywhere to clean up the world? And, transformed in some of the environmental problems that were happening. So he's he's really, and he's been in the writer's room with them and talking about his theories, and they are absolutely informing everything that's, that's, that's happening with my sealed network and everything. You know, it's taking it to another level, uh, to sort of, you know, uh, projecting it into a fantastical manner in some respects, but it still is always grounded in something that he is actually working with. Uh, and I'm also, it didn't even occur to me until I met him at the premiere last year that the show could actually be such a gateway for people to learn about this incredible work that he's doing. And that seems like it's already happening, and that's an amazing thing unto itself as well. Yeah, I think that's, thank you. That, that's, I think that's one of the best parts of Star Trek, is just the inspiration that it gives. I remember when I was 10 years old, my mom brought me to a convention, and I said, she said to James Dewin, who obviously was Scotty, she said, uh, he wants to be an engineer because of you, and uh, I feel like I've let him down. <laughs> <laughs> We're all disappointed. Have you guys, any of you other guys? Well, I'm in quite some mushrooms anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this, you know, increased that. We've got studies and all that fun, funky stuff. I, I'm watching the documentary now on Gaia about psychedelic. So, yes. So, Very cool. Yeah. So, he's wearing the glasses. That's why I'm wearing the glasses, because right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, you know, what I learned really quickly, because my, you know, I would get the techno babble, if you will. Um, and I realized really quickly that I couldn't just memorize the words that I needed to, in order for me to memorize it, to, I need to understand at least yeah. in a, in a, on a base level 
what the hell I was saying. Right. Uh, so I do I do spend a lot of time looking up the stuff, and it made it a lot easier to memorize, honestly, especially the medical stuff. That's plus you also sort of know as a as an actor where what's in your head when right. you're saying these things. Yeah. <laughs> I know nothing. <laughs> just, just put that out there. You know how to do some sit-ups, bro. <laughs> That's not all. children in the audience. So, right? They should learn the value of a good diet and sit-ups. Anyway. <laughs> what is happening? Mary, you look like you're either going to say something or just hiding. No, I just, when he said there's children up there, I just felt a wave of regret. <laughs> <laughs> they, they can learn that love it knows not a uh, form of mass or matter. What? <laughs> Maybe James should explain that gas reference over there. <laughs> so I don't remember what the prompt question was, but someone asked, like, what's in the future for Tilly on Star Trek? What, what would you like to see? And she said that she wanted to have, like, a relationship with some, like, just like a ball of gas or sound or something. <laughs> or a ball of sound. sound. Wow. Yeah. Like, really, really push it and, like, yeah. That's some ambitious sci-fi right there. I would love to see that. Yeah. yeah. Like, creatures that are completely not like ourselves. And I feel like somebody like Tilly would be a perfect character to actually bridge that gap and understand a consciousness that has absolutely no physical relation to us as bipedal, organic, ugly bags of mostly water. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, it was great hearing the, the actors talk about science and having so much respect for it, but they're just so funny. I don't know. What's, what's the word for it? They're just so human. I love that. Yeah, That's absolutely. Great. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for filming that. James, you filmed that, right? Yes. Thank you, James. Well, speaking of science then, season two is, is coming up in a couple of months, and this podcast will continue on and continue talking about science in Star Trek as soon as uh, more science topics arise from new Star Trek Discovery episodes. So what do you think might be coming up based on what little we've heard, the teaser trailer also. What kind of science topics do you see yourself talking about on this podcast in a couple of months' time? Asteroids. Tardigrades. Oh, yes. <laughs> you think or you hope? <laughs> Tell us all about the tardigrades, Mike. You know, there, there were some pretty amazing cosplay at this <laughs> convention, and there were some really impressive ones. James, you saw Tholian. We had the little gaseous cloud that Captain Picard drew a smiley face in. The warp core breach. The warp core breach, yeah. Uh, that was a really creative one as well. Lots of intricate, amazing discovery things, especially from the Mirror Universe, people designing those costumes from scratch. Kudos to them. But my favorite, of course, was the tardigrade. Somebody actually dressed up as the tardigrade. So that re-inspired me to talk about tardigrades, even though that's probably not going to occur in season two. So, sorry to not answer your question <laughs> and go on a divergence uh, about tardigrades. But on a scientific note, um, there were some Science of Star Trek talks at the Star Trek convention 
there was a physics of Star Trek talk with Dr. Aaron McDonald, who is formerly of the LIGO collaboration. And then later on in the week, she also gave a science of Star Trek discovery talk. And I thought her physics of Star Trek talk was absolutely excellent. She did a great job with describing general relativity and warp drive and their relationship to each other, describing quantum mechanics and teleportation, and even talked about tachyons and what they are as a theoretical construct in physics and went through, I guess, memory alpha or something and located all of the references for when tachyons were brought up and actually drew some correlations with how Star Trek actually kind of gets it right and builds an almost small mythos around what tachyons do in the Star Trek universe. And I feel like as planetary scientists, we should sort of do the same thing with planets and find some kind of statistical correlation with types of planets that are visited in Star Trek and balance that against biases for, of course, you're going to try to visit more inhabited planets, more planets that are M-class that have oxygen-rich atmospheres with complex, intelligent life and civilizations, but also just sort of map out the whole parameter space of the types of planets in Star Trek and see what that is compared to like the actual distribution of types of exoplanets that we're discovering now. I think that would be really fun. Yeah. All these classes from M. Well, there's M, there's Y, and there's like a bunch of other ones that I don't have to top of my head. But it would be interesting to look through them and see what the canonical distinctions are between these classes. Yeah. And Dr. McDonald also talked about the Tachyon core in Star Trek Voyager's Blink of an Eye, which we mentioned a while back on this podcast. And my how... first episode on the podcast. That's right. Yay. Yeah. We asked you about Tachyon cores. <laughs> and so she said exactly what James said in that episode, which is if you have a Tachyon core, that would explain why time seems to pass faster in a gravitational well rather than slower which it would normally do, but didn't explain how tachyons would become part of the core of a planet, which is still unknown. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so something else was that, and I'm going to pronounce her last name wrong because I don't actually know how it's properly pronounced, but Sarah Mitich or Mitich? What? It's It's not Mitch? That was Mitch. I thought it was Mitch for a long time, too. But I looked her up to just make sure. And it's definitely, there's two I's in this name. Oh. So it's like Mitich or Mitich or Mitich. Uh, Anyway, so she plays the character Arium on Star Trek Discovery. And there's a huge debate that I think we've had in person, if not on the podcast. Yeah, Elise is super passionate about it, too. (laughs) About whether she is an android or a cyborg Mm. Or something else completely. Of course, if she's an android, this is a problem because Data was supposed to be the first android in Starfleet, I believe. And so I went up to the actress because I figured who else would know better, you know? she's She's got to know what she is actually playing. And I said, excuse me, I have a very important question for you. This will solve a big debate that I've been having with my friends. <laughs> what is your character? And she, she just laughed and was like, oh, yeah, I'm an augmented human. An augment. Not an augment. <laughs> Kill the augments. <laughs> an augmented human. So I guess that means a cyborg. Mm. More seven of nine than Khan. Yeah. Okay, so that, that means she started out as a human or a humanoid, I guess. I mean, I'm pretty sure she wasn't born with cybernetic implants, <laughs> but who knows how babies yeah. are born in the 23rd century. It's, it's the future. But yeah, yeah so maybe, there'll be, maybe there's an interesting right lead up to how she became... The area that she is, yeah. You know, I, I was never that like passionate. Not like Elise was. I was like, oh, I hate Ariel. She's not supposed to be the android. 
Yeah, no, I thought she was just a, a cool character. I'm definitely looking forward to learning more about her. Like, so did they talk about like more screen time for the rest of the bridge crew? They were very reticent to talk about any details, mm-hmm. even that. Someone did ask or commented that they love seeing the bridge crew and we want more of it. And yeah. they're like, I can't really tell you too much, but yes. Yay. You'll see more. You will learn more about us or something. Okay, so, so far we've talked about the big news. We've talked about Star Trek Discovery. Of course, there were a lot of other guests and talks at the convention. Unfortunately, we don't have all the time in the world. So, last question. Besides Discovery, besides the news of uh, Jean-Luc's return, what was your favorite moment or talk at the convention? Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis had a panel hosted by Matt Mira that was just hilarious. Those two, those three, really. It was a very interesting panel, a very lively panel. James and I were talking about how Matt Mira did such an excellent job moderating panels. He was obviously very knowledgeable about Star Trek, but didn't seem like he was showing it off to everybody how you know much of a fan he is and he's also very humorous being a comedian and injected lots of little jokes into the panels and I felt like he really facilitated the storytelling of the actors without getting in the way of the actors but yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to what he brings to After Trek season two. Yeah and then there was another panel that was I had a lot of fun with was uh, Rain Wilson played Harry Mudd slightly more famous for The Office, who had his own panel, and it was really funny. Not just him telling his antics and his usual Rain Wilson jokes, but one of his first movie roles, or was it his first movie role, was in Galaxy Quest, one of the top Star Trek movies of all time, where he played an alien. And so it was funny to have him have done that as his first movie and now be experiencing a convention, a Star Trek convention for the first time, and to realize how truthful galaxy quest actually is gone full circle yeah (laughs) george takei talked about or someone asked a question about lgbtq plus representation in star trek he gave a, a a very thoughtful response and in particular what he thought of uh about discovery versus star trek beyond and he was very critical about star trek beyond which he's been critical about it before but i think he explained it better here than he has in the past in particular So in Star Trek Beyond, if you remember, Sulu gets off at the starbase and runs up to a little girl and another man and picks up the girl, puts his arm around the man, and they walk off. And at the time, the Star Trek producers were making a big deal saying, we're making Sulu gay. He is gay. He has a daughter. That's what's happening. And George K. took offense to that. And as he described it at Star Trek Las Vegas, there was nothing there. For all the audience could have known, that other character who was also Asian could have been Sulu's brother. Mm. Bringing his, either his daughter who's babysitting, there was nothing actually demonstrating Star Trek Beyond as being LGBTQ plus inclusive. And I think he's right. Yes, I was happy to see it in Beyond, but as George Takei also said... Star Trek Discovery did it perfectly because there it's it's addressed head on. You have two professional scientists that are on their own merits, good people, intellectual people. They live together. They work together. They have a good relationship, which is exactly how it should be done. And as a gay man, it was really powerful watching Discovery. I, I didn't realize I would have 
a strong reaction to it because I mean it is 2018 I've gotten used to how the world works but to see it represented in a fandom that I've been watching for decades now was really profound it's a shame that then they fell into the trip of killing the gays uh. um, but Wilson Cruz promised and the entire cast basically promises he'll be back he's actually supposed to be a regular in season 2 which he Ooh. wasn't in season 1 so I wonder how he's going to come back now my, my prediction is the green spore, but I don't know. Aside from actors talking, probably my favorite panel was um, Gersha Phillips talking about costumes. Mm-hmm. Because Star Trek Discovery has the best costumes and, in general, set production, production design of any Star Trek, in my opinion. And so she, as we mentioned earlier, talked about all these different uniforms, all the little lapels and things, all the details that went into it. In the same panel, or slightly before it, Glenn Hetrick, the alien makeup designer, creature creator, also talked about his work, and they teased that they might be changing up both the the costumes and looks of the Klingons a little bit into the next season. Will they have hair now? So he, Glenn Hetrick did mention hair for Klingons. You talked about the mythos of Klingons, how they looked back and they realized that hair is actually a very central part to Kalis the Unforgettable, how he forged the first Batleth by throwing a piece of his hair into the volcano on Kronos. So obviously they need to reconcile Discovery with the rest of canon. So I don't know, maybe it was just trendy in this part of the 23rd century for Klingons to shave their heads. Maybe maybe they forgot. That's why they split. They fell away from Kalis' teachings and... Part of that is ditching hair, I guess. And now that they're united, hair again. Or the augment virus also leads to hair loss and some fraction of Klingons. Yeah. Did they uh, put in Picard genes or something? (laughs) (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Anyway, I guess to wrap it all up, the very last thing that happened at this convention was a screening of Far Beyond the Stars from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and then a panel of all the actors discussing and recapping that episode 25 years or so later. And, I mean, I had basically died of tears watching that episode again because Avery Brooks just delivers such a masterpiece in that episode, especially his monologue at the very end. I'm a human being, damn it. You can deny me all you want. But you cannot deny Ben Sisko exists. That future, that space station, all those people, they exist in here. In my mind, I created it. And every one of you know it. You read it. It's here. You, you, you hear what I'm telling you? You can pop a story, but you cannot destroy an idea. Don't you understand? That's ancient knowledge. You cannot destroy an idea. You can pulp a story, but you can't destroy an idea. And it was such a powerful moment, such a powerful piece of acting. And I learned some new things about the production of that episode. I didn't realize that Avery Brooks had directed that episode and that he had put in so much of himself into the production of it too. For instance, Sirach Lofton, who plays Jake Sisko and is very close to Avery Brooks, told us that the things, for instance, the books on Benny Russell's writing desk were purposely handpicked by Avery Brooks 
and meant something to that character, to the whole civil rights movement of the time. And that you should go back and rewatch that episode and take note of the prop pieces that are included on that desk and learn a little bit more about not just Benjamin Sisko or Benny Russell, but the entire civil rights movement as a whole. Wow, that is really powerful. I had not watched that episode in a while, and it is scary how relevant it is to today. Yeah, I don't think I can put it in very graceful terms right now, so I won't say it. Yeah. 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 And that concludes episode 45 of Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. I've been your host, Peter Gao, and I hope you've enjoyed this deep dive into the Star Trek Las Vegas convention. It seems a new Star Trek Golden Age is upon us, with the return of Jean-Luc Picard and Star Trek Discovery Season 2 looking amazing. In the meantime, Strange New Worlds will continue to probe the intricacies of how science and Star Trek are intertwined, so stay tuned, and we'll see you out there. So we also got you a second gift. What? That is not really for you, but is for somebody else. Very related to you. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes! This is the best thing! <laughs> this is our first piece of, uh, of baby things. Tell the audience what it is. It is a uh, command baby... <laughs> They're called onesies. Onesie. <laughs> okay, yes. It is a baby onesie that uh, is the command uniform from the original series. I love it so much. I love you guys. You're the best. Thank you. We had to actually ask for that one because on display, the only one that they had left was like security operations red, and we knew we no. couldn't get <laughs> we couldn't get your baby uh, original series red shirt. <laughs>